Hello, my rebels. Today, I'm going to try and take a break from talking about the Ukraine-Russia war and talk about an interesting short clip of a speech by a pharmaceutical exec at a big conference. And weirdly, if you quote this pharmaceutical executive, if you post his video, it'll be censored by Twitter, even though he said it, it's his video. I'll get into it and I'll show you what I mean. First, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus so you can see the video. That's really what Rebel News Plus is. It's the podcast with the video side to it. And it's eight bucks a month for that. You get my daily show. We get four other weekly shows. So that's a lot of stuff. Eight bucks a month is about half of Netflix. And we need that because we don't take any money from Justin Trudeau. We're independent. So please go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. Here's today's show. Tonight, a pharmaceutical executive says something shocking, but Twitter won't let you post the video clip. That's odd, right? It's March 4th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Ezra. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. feel like taking a break from talking about the Russia-Ukraine war, but it is causing so many shocking things to happen over here. Put aside the war itself. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. I guess he's not here. He's in the United States. But he's basically calling for the assassination of Vladimir Putin. Is there a Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stauffenberg in the Russian military? The only way this ends is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country and the world a great service. And then he followed up with another tweet. He said, the only people who can fix this are the Russian people. Easy to say, hard to do, unless you want to live in darkness for the rest of your life, be isolated from the rest of the world in abject poverty, and live in darkness. You need to step up to the plate. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems a little reckless, undiplomatic for a member of the United States government, member of a NATO country to publicly call for the assassination of a world leader who, who happens to have a nuclear arsenal. What's odd is that Twitter deleted Donald Trump's Twitter account permanently when he was a sitting president for much less. I, I don't get it. Here's a tweet from Omar al-Jabra. Trudeau's transportation minister, that seemed stunning to me also. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Last night, Al-Jabra said, a charter aircraft that carried Russian foreign nationals has been held at the Yellowknife airport. We will continue to hold Russia accountable for its invasion of Ukraine. So their sin was that they're Russian, not that they're criminals or that they're actively doing anything wrong. It was their Russianness, And so they're being held at the Yellowknife Airport. Did I get that right? Are they being detained, like under arrest or something? Does anyone remember the two Michaels, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, that China just seized and held as part of 
their diplomatic feud with us. What do we call that? Well, I know what I called it. I called it a kidnapping. I called it a hostage taking, a violation of diplomatic and legal norms, the act of a barbaric, brutal dictatorship, extortion. Uh, that's what I call it. Trudeau was rather more meek. Is that what we're doing to Russia now? Should, should we, I don't know, put them in internment camps or something? Maybe dust off those Japanese internment camps? You know, there's a lot of Russians in Canada. Should Vladimir Putin start doing the same thing to Canadian citizens? I sure hope not. If I were a Canadian in Russia, I would get out right now. You know, it's crazy. Before Al Jabra became uh, Trudeau's uh, MP and then cabinet minister, he ran the extremist Canadian Arab Federation. I call him extremist because one of the things he called for was the legalization of terrorist groups Hamas and Hezbollah. So they're cool by him. Actual terrorists, but not these Russians because they're Russian. You know, Omar al-Jabra was on a no-fly list himself once, probably due to his pro-terrorist stance. It's pretty nuts to see him operating a no-fly list now himself. You could support Ukraine. I think most of the world does. Uh, although numerically, I think about half the world's population might not if you take China and India and Russia and Vietnam and the rest of the abstainers in the recent UN vote on the subject, you can support the little guy, Ukraine, without wanting Canada itself to be dragged into a war. Since when do we detain Russians without a hearing in Yellowknife or shut down Russian TV stations simply on the orders of our Banana Republic prime minister? He, he's still governing as if he had emergency powers. Are you not nervous about all this? But let me stop there because there are other things in the world to talk about besides Russia and Ukraine. Look at this video. This is from a pharmaceutical executive with, with Bayer. It's um, tweeted by Aaron Jin, and here's how he describes it. He writes, the head of pharma at Bayer proudly proclaims the COVID mRNA vaccine is gene therapy and that misleading the public was useful to create widespread adoption. Here, watch the video. Uh, we're really taking that leap, uh, us as a company, Bayer, uh, in cell and gene therapy, which to me is one of these examples where really we're going to make a difference, hopefully, uh, moving forward. There's some, uh, ultimately, the, uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago uh, in the public, would you be willing to take a, a gene, th gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body, we would have probably had a 95% refusal rate. I think uh, this pandemic has also opened many people's eyes to, to innovation in the way that uh, was maybe not possible before. Okay, so you read how he described it and you saw the video. Did Aaron Jin more or less describe it accurately? I think he did. But look underneath the video on that tweet, misleading, learn about the science behind COVID-19 vaccines and how health officials say they work. And then there's a link to their pro-vaccine messaging. And at the bottom, you see it says, this tweet can't be replied to, shared, or liked. But Erin didn't say anything about whether the vaccine worked or not. He didn't really talk about the vaccines at all, other than to quote a pharmaceutical executive at the World Health Summit. This is the website of the World Health Summit, if you're curious. It's a huge conference in Berlin, produced in coordination with the United Nations World Health Organization. Uh, if you just scroll down the speakers list, just look at it. 
tons of UN types, tons of pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Roche, Gavi, the Rockefeller Foundation, Janssen, they make a vaccine. The Bill Gates Foundation is there, World Bank, the CDC. These are the masters of the universe. It's like the World Economic Forum, but for vaccines. Um, and, and the guy we just showed you is a health official, but Twitter says it's misleading to quote him. I don't know. I guess you weren't supposed to hear that part, maybe. Twitter's throttling it. I'm sure if you put that same video up on YouTube, you'll actually have your su account suspended altogether. Same on Facebook. I find that all exhausting and frustrating. Just all of a sudden, you can't even have a different opinion. You can't even point to certain facts neutrally. Until the moment where you can, until the moment that politicians decide, uh-oh, they're going to be voted out if they keep their insane mask laws or insane COVID laws and lockdown laws. And then suddenly the science changes. <laughs> Here's a story in Blacklocks. Feds shelve proposed vax mandate for interprovince truckers. Stress this has nothing, repeat, nothing to do with the 24-day freedom convoy blockade. Things change. Science changes, says Seamus O'Regan. <laughs> so the government was going to say you can't even drive a truck between provinces if you're not vaxxed. That's insane. But now they say they won't do that, and they say the science has changed. Did it really? I wonder what new scientific study emerged about interprovincial trucking between the time of the truckers' convoy and today to cause the very sciency government to change their scientific science. I'm sure they could cite the peer-reviewed medical scholarship, right? <laughs> you know, the Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the simple step of a courageous individual is not to take part in the lie. That was all he could ask for, not for people to actively fight, not for people to risk themselves, or even to push back. Just, just don't join in, is what he said. Just don't join in the madness. Don't join in the... Don't lie also. There's so many lies. There's so much madness. And I see the madness spilling over from the lockdown into other things. It's never been this dangerous in Canada, I don't think. Stay with us for more. Well, I see the trucker rebellion is still reverberating in Canada, as I mentioned in the monologue. Um, they have abandoned, the federal liberals have abandoned a plan to require vaccine mandates to, for truckers to travel from province to province. It was an absurd, unconstitutional plan to begin with, deeply punitive. Um, that said, it would surely have been upheld by the courts. The reason it was thrown out could only be attributed to the political and popular success of the truckers. Well, that success is spreading. We've shown you how the truckers have inspired rebellions around the world, from Israel to the Netherlands. And for the past week or so, we have had a freelance reporter reporting on the U.S. trucking convoy that left California and is now closing in on Washington, D.C. We're joined live via Skype with Jeremy Lafredo, who is with the convoy. 
in Hagerstown, Maryland, just a couple hours outside Washington, D.C. Jeremy, great to see you. It looks, uh, looks like good country. It looks a little warmer than the truckers in Canada. I, I was there myself. It was minus 20. It was very bitter. It uh, looks like a nice uh, spring morning where you are in Maryland. Yeah, it's beautiful here. Nice to be here, Ezra. Well, tell me a little bit about your journey, because you've been embedded with these truckers for more than a week, I think. I mean, you start out in California. Uh, give us some numbers. How many trucks are there and the big rigs, but also, you know, people coming along for the ride for a day or something, maybe in their pickup truck or even a regular sedan? How many folks are there with you? Sure. So we started off in California with around not that many, 50 big rigs, maybe 50 RVs and a couple hundred uh, SUVs or regular cars. And um, it grew and grew and grew every stop as we moved east. And now here we are um, very close to the east coast with over 400 big rigs, um, over 200 RVs and thousands of uh, civilian vehicles. Wow. Um, those are impressive numbers. I mean, especially when you see a nice long convoy, it's really gorgeous to see. It's very inspirational. I don't know the actual number of big rigs that entered the city of Ottawa last month, but it doesn't actually take that many to create quite a spectacle and to create a focal point because they're so glorious to behold some of these rigs. And um, in Ottawa, they blocked that main street for a week or so. Of course, the horn honking. So if you say there's 400 big trucks now, that is quite a number. Um, do you know the plans yet? Because I think that in Canada, honestly, I don't think they really even had a plan. The plan was to go to Ottawa. Some people were trying to figure out like a manifesto. Some people were trying to figure out some sort of negotiation. But I think the trucking convoy was sort of the point in itself just to join a movement. That's my summary of Canada. What's it like? like what's, what's, what are they going to do when they get to Washington? Sure. So um, there's there's been a lot of debate about that. You know, at their truck stops at night, they talk about that. Um, there's a giant divide between the organizers and those that they have organized, the truckers. Um, you have the organizers who are saying, you know, we're, we're going to go around D.C. You know, we're, we're not going to go into D.C. And then you have um, you have these truckers who hear that and are, you know, not happy with that plan. Um, you know, they are here for a reason. And they're here to, you know, get the trucking, uh, the cross-border mandate dropped as long uh, as well as with other uh, freedoms that have been taken away uh, during this COVID regime. And they're here for their families and their kids and their grandkids. And I talk to them every day and, you know, they have brought their wives with them and they've left their kids at home and they are here for the long haul, they tell me. And they're, if their truck gets towed, they have the money to take it out. And if they get tickets, they have the money to pay them. And they plan on staying in D.C. until um, until something changes, until their voices are heard. And then you have the organizers who, you know, are a little more light footed than that. You know, one of the things uh, I saw in Canada is at first, I think the official political establishment didn't really take the truckers seriously. So I don't think they had a response. But I think the whole world has observed, including the very heavy handed policing tactics in Canada. One of the things they're still actually doing, believe it or not, in Canada, even though the truckers have sort of dispersed, is that the police are still blocking off key roads. Now, they've stopped that, believe it or not, to allow protests for the Ukraine-Russia war. But anytime there's a suspected trucker convoy, it's the police that literally seal off the roads. I'm in the city of Toronto, and they block off the entire downtown area preemptively. 
They just shut down the roads. I was trapped downtown Toronto a few weeks ago. It took me an hour to get home. And I wonder if Washington, D.C., which has a heavy-handed police, has many levels of police, um, they've already had fences and National Guard and things like that for over a year. I'm wondering if the grassroots truckers who have big plans to go to D.C., I'm wondering if they'll actually even be allowed to get into the city. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I have uh, I have journalist friends in Washington who send me photos. And, um, you know, there are already Humvees parked on corners and parked at um, places where you pay tolls to get into Washington. Um, you know, the, the presence of the paramilitary police presence in Washington is overwhelming right now. Um, just, just because these truckers are planning to maybe park their cars somewhere around there. And even in New York City, um, a city that's you know, over 200 miles away from Washington, not even a place that the truckers plan on going, just just in case the truckers do some and end up getting to, to New York City somehow, they have a escalated police presence in New York as well. Now, you mentioned Humvees. That's that American uh, successor yeah, like to the a, Jeep. It's like an armored, mm-hmm. uh, it's like it's a, a heavy-duty uh, Jeep. It's, exactly. It's, it's military. Now, would that mm-hmm. be National Guard? Is that, is that or, or do police forces have those? Because my question is, you know, there's some pretty, you use the word paramilitary, and we saw some of that in Canada. We saw riot gear, we saw armored vehicles, but they were all, at least in name, directed by different police forces. When you say Humvees, I think military. Um, I, I don't know enough about U.S. policing. Maybe that's the National Guard. Um, how could a Humvee engage in policing like they, they don't know anything about issuing tickets or reading people their rights or how to arrest someone they're not built for that they're just built for for battles i guess exactly the, those humvees are were built and are meant to go into conflict zones um and here they are uh driving around you know our neighborhoods um in preparation for these truckers to come in um and uh the national guard has been um deployed in washington and the uh, Capitol Police, which is Washington's police force, they also have, um, you know, a few, uh, you know, military equipment. They're they're uh, using long guns right now. They're staying around with long guns instead of their normal pistols. Um, so it's it's quite a scene there, from what I can tell. Huh. You know what? It it makes me nervous because, of course. Uh In America, there's more of a gun culture than in Canada, and it wouldn't surprise me if a number of these truckers have a firearm in their vehicle, not in any aggressive way. Just I think it's 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 probably uh, legal in many states, if not everywhere. And it's and I think it's culturally more normal there. It makes me nervous if you have peaceful protesters who have a firearm, but then you have an ultra militarized police response and. I, I don't know. I just I'm worried that the kind of heavy handed police like there was no violence in Canada from the truckers, even when the police came in brutally, like they literally shot one of our reporters, Alexa Lavoie, in the leg with a gun, like with a with a with a tear gas canister. It's mm-hmm. shocking. But there was no pushback like like the police went and they smashed in. Truck by truck, van by van, they smashed the windows, guns loaded and pointed, and extracted the truckers. And not a single trucker punched back, hit back, shot back. So the violence was all one-sided. But I think I know America enough that there's a little bit more of a don't tread on me vibe there. And if you have that kind of provocative policing in America, 
I'm worried that that someone's going to defend himself. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not saying I hope anything. I'm just. It makes me nervous to hear that they're literally deploying military vehicles on the street. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of don't tread on me flags, which is essentially a, a flag that is supposed to um, tell the government not to tread on um, my rights, essentially. And there's every truck is flying with these flags. And um, these are people that generally support the the police force. You know, these are um, Republicans or conservatives. And, you know, they they are totally against the idea of defunding the police. And they think the police are very important. But when I speak to them about um, how far are they willing to go and, you know, you might have confrontations with the police, they are 100 percent. They're willing to confront the police um, if they think the police are acting, you know, illegally and not in line with the Constitution and are infringing upon their rights. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very interesting. There's a different culture in America. I mean, your country was born through revolution, our country through evolution. In fact, (laughs) the losing side of the U.S. revolution sort of all came north. Uh, We called them United Empire Loyalists, and they formed the political culture in the province of Ontario, which dominates Canada. By nature, we are more passive and... Sometimes that's great and sometimes it's terrible. I mean, during the last two years, that passivity has been absolutely terrible and and it's allowed government tyranny to dominate. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see a replay of the trucker convoy phenomenon in a country with a little bit more freedom backbone. I, I uh, think it's going to be fascinating. I thank you for um, traveling along with the truckers. I know it's been a long journey and thanks for these updates that you're giving us. And stay safe and keep up the good work. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Jeremy Lafredo in Maryland, a couple hours outside of Washington, D.C. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. I got some letters. Corvinus, a wolf says, inching closer and closer to the Zielinski principle, shut down all TV stations that don't parrot your views, jail all your political opponents already in place to Merrill Lynch as a political prisoner, and be the wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, I don't, I don't quite know what you mean by the Zielinski principle and, and those things. Um, I'm worried about Ukraine. I've never been there, you know, 118 years ago. My family was from there, but... Uh, and it's terrible. It's a war. And I'm glad I was born in Canada where it's safe and we've never actually had a war here. But uh, I'm worried about the war being used as an excuse to crush civil liberties. And I, I really find it terrifying how everyone's willing to go along. And of course, they're willing to go along. They were willing to go along with deep violations of our civil liberties for two years because of the sniffles, because of a cold, really. And we actually had curfews in Quebec. So, of course, they'll go along with it for a war. Uh, Next letter from Javali, if I'm saying that right. We have one of those doublespeak online groups in the U.S. too. They call themselves the Center for Countering Digital Hate. They counter what they deem hate and misinformation with hate and misinformation. You're exactly right. And it's it's part of the same fact-checking industry. It's not fact-checking. It's just criticizing other journalism. It used to be that journalists held governments to account. Now journalists hold critical journalists to account. They defend the government and they attack critics. And misinformation and disinformation and fake news, that's just what they call reporting they don't like. Um, I saw an absurd fact check on PolitiFact 
the other day. The headline was, it's false to say America has doubled its oil imports from Russia. And then if you get to the bottom of it, they say it's actually true. Uh, I mean, just absolute pretzel logic, backflip twisting. Um, it's not so much that people believe these fact checks as that certain things flow from the fact check. If you're fact checked by one of these bias groups, you might get knocked off Facebook or Twitter. So it's not that anyone actually says, what do the fact checkers say? It's that the fact checkers have the power of the censor. Benny Yastremsky says, our government supports protests in Russia, but it doesn't support it here. You're so right. I, I mean, I think of all the things Trudeau has done in the last month, arresting people for peaceful protests, seizing bank accounts, shutting down media companies. Um, how is that different from what the bad guys do around the world? I think that Canada has fallen tremendously um, and Canada's reputation. We are now, you know, I, I did a live stream earlier today. I noted that the Ohio legislature has introduced a motion to put Canada on a religious liberty watch list. How come no one in Canada is watching our religious liberties? Not a single politician in this entire country. Why does it fall to Ohio legislators to do that? Very bad news. Well, um, I'm going to wrap it up there until Monday. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with this video about truckers gathering in a remote desert town to support the U.S. trucker convoys from Jeremy Lafredo, who we spoke with earlier. Bye-bye. I'm Jeremy Lafredo on assignment for Rebel News in Lupton, Arizona, where people are braving freezing temperatures in order to stand and welcome the U.S. trucker convoy. The convoy is traveling from the westernmost part of the country, roughly 3,000 miles, to Washington, D.C., to demand an end to vaccine mandates and the restoration of other freedoms that were taken away under the guise of COVID-19. Today, their nightly stopping location is Lupton, Arizona. Lupton, Arizona is an unincorporated community located 7,000 feet above the desert in the easternmost part of Arizona on the Navajo Indian Reservation. The official population of Lupton, as of 2019, is only 12 people. Upon our arrival, several hours ahead of the convoy, we were surprised to see some local supporters had already staked out a space, keeping warm around a fire and preparing some food for the incoming truckers. Among the support in Arizona were members of the Navajo Nation tribe. One elder explained that he came out to support the truckers because he's had enough of COVID-related mandates. The reservation that I live on, we are told to do this, to do that by the government. And so our people are just going along. These mandates, you know, these people that are calling for this and that, that uh, we have to abide by, um, it's, it's just really going out of hand. You know, I got chased out of two supermarkets, you know, in Gallup, and back here, you know, where I live, they come up to me, they run, run up to me, and they say, where's your mask? Where's your mask? You know, that's one of the mandates that New Mexico is very staunched on. That's one of the reasons why, you know, this Freedom Convoy is, uh, to me, it's very important. It's not, it's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats, you know, that is for this. It's for people that want freedom. They want their lives back. And that's why, you know, that I, I'm here, you know, supporting it. And uh, hopefully, you know, that we can 
get out from underneath us and get back to our lives. He told Rebel News that his wife came with him to the trucker rendezvous point with other women from the Navajo community to make traditional fried bread for the truckers. We're going to make some Indian bread, you know, we call it the fried bread, you know, which is dipped, you know, like a big donut, you know, dipped in grease and tastes pretty good. We are making fried bread for the truckers because we, they deserve something good to eat tonight because of what they're doing. And I believe in them. And I believe in America. And what, it's, what it stands for and what it should stand for. Others made their way up to Lupton to support the convoy because they disagreed with COVID vaccine mandates. I'm here to support the truckers. I'm going to go as far as I can, probably all the way to D.C. Um, I'm, not, I'm not against the vaccines or getting vaccinated. I'm just really against being mandated to do so. So I want the mandates dropped. I want the government out of our business because this country was founded on liberty through God. And the truckers are all about that. And I support them. I, I'm up 400 miles to to sit here in single-digit weather to support them as they come by. And that, that's what it is. Another resident explained that she came out to support the truckers because they are the voice of America and that it's time to put a stop to the new COVID regime. Our freedom is in jeopardy right now. We have so many mandates and tyranny is now creeping in upon us. And as the Constitution says, it's our duty to make sure that we push this government back. And right now, our convoy and our truckers and brothers and sisters that run these 18 wheelers are going to be the impact and also the voice of America that we need to say this is enough is enough and that we're ready to actually begin to get back to work and get back to our lives and quit with the mandates. On the 250 mile trek from Kimlin, Arizona to Lupton, Arizona, every single highway overpass had supporters, some groups larger than others. These Americans gathered in support to show the convoy how appreciated they are and because they believe COVID mandates are a slippery slope. I'm here because I support the truckers because they're standing for something that they should be standing for where most Americans are kind of being lackadaisy, which really hurts my feelings because so many more people could be standing up against this mandate, maybe making a difference. And I'm actually a Canadian, so I watched my country go down the toilet. And now I'm standing here in America with the Americans, standing strong. We totally support the truckers. They're the backbone of America. We have family. We have friends who are truckers. We, we want to make sure that they know that they have our support with what they're doing, that it's a huge sacrifice for them. And we're just so proud of them and, and everything that they're doing because this country would not run without them. And we want them to know that we know that. Um, I support the truckers because... Um, they're helping our country, fighting for what's right. We live in the land of the free, the home of the brave, and that's the way we're going to remain. If you want to take my life, do it now. I'll stand here. I support the truckers because I was appalled at what happened in Canada, and if it happens here, we're lost. As the truckers arrived in Lupton, they parked alongside an abandoned service road which stretched several miles east. By now, the numbers of supporters at the meeting point had grown exponentially. Barbecued pork, barbecued beef, pasta, beans, and that traditional Navajo fried bread were among some of the foods available for free to the truckers. A sense of community, camaraderie, and patriotism quickly bonded these people together, and for the rest of the evening, they kept the truckers company. For Rebel News, I'm Jeremy Lafredo.